And let's pray together. Father, you are holy, and we believe the name of Jesus is high and lifted up today. We pray that you would be honored and glorified in our praises to you. And as we have confessed that you are our only hope in life and in death, today until the end, we pray that you would help us take hold of that hope today and to stand firm in it. May Jesus be glorified. May we be taught truth from your word by your spirit to our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a dangerous business going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. That's from Lord of the Rings. But that's not just true in fictional adventure stories. It's true of many things in our lives. It's a dangerous thing, walking out your door. Yes, you never know exactly what will unfold once you do. It's a dangerous thing walking into a church's door, too. And I commend you for doing it. There's no knowing what might capture your heart and change your life. And it's even a dangerous thing to open up the pages of the Bible and hear what it has to say. Because once we hear words from God, we are left with choices to make and no excuses. The famous theologian John Stott once made a similar point, saying, we need to consider that the Bible is a dangerous book to read and that the church is a dangerous society to join. For in reading the Bible, we hear the words of Christ, and in joining the church, we say we believe in Christ. As a result, we belong to the company described by Jesus as both hearing his teaching and calling him Lord. Our membership, therefore, lays upon us the serious responsibility of ensuring that we know and what we say, that what we know and what we say is translated into what we do. It's a serious responsibility. So today, as we dangerously open God's word, we're going to hear Jesus lay down these stakes. If we want to follow the way of Jesus, are we really willing to do what he says. It's a good test of Christ's lordship over our lives. Do we do what our Lord says to do? So let's turn together to Matthew chapter 7 once more. Matthew chapter 7, as we finally finish the Sermon on the Mount, after a number of years sporadically looking at this, if you have been with us lately in Matthew 7, you'll know that Jesus hasn't been pulling any punches. He sometimes said things that were really hard to hear and hard to accept. 
enter by the narrow gate. Beware of false prophets or wolves. In verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Last week we read of that, that dire and eternal danger of false professions of faith. Today, we'll see Jesus finish off his sermon with another danger, the danger of just mere intellectual assent. Believing something in your mind, but not living it out in your life. But he starts with the positive side, with a good example of what he desires from his people. And this is addressed to everyone who hears Jesus' words. So that includes you today. He says this in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And this is some of Jesus' most well-known imagery, perhaps thanks in part to children's songs. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rain came tumbling down. Now, while that song is great for the memorability of Jesus' parable here, it actually never mentions the point of it at all. So we might go away thinking the point is, be smart or you'll get wiped out. But is that the point? No, the point lies in what the house's foundations stand for. And Jesus tells us right at the beginning here, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the issue at hand is the doing, applying, or obeying of Jesus' words in our lives. What words? Well, at the very least, he's referring to his words in Matthew 5 to 7. Though I believe he's speaking more generally about all his teachings. If he is Lord, if Jesus is Lord, then he is to be obeyed whatever he says and whenever he says it. So as he comes to the end of this talk, he presses us to put it into practice, basically asking, now, what are you going to do about what you just heard? What are you going to do about it? Because, see, using this imagery, everyone in the world is already building a house. Everyone is, is building a life of some kind on some foundation. We are choosing paths, making plans, forming habits, developing lifestyles. It's as though we are picking a site and choosing building materials and drawing up blueprints and then raising walls and running utilities and roofing and flooring and painting and decorating and everything that goes into this. But the biggest question here is not really what kind of house you are building, but where are you building your house? On what foundation? Because your foundation won't just help determine the structure of your life, it will determine 
the stability of your life. That's the big idea here. That wisely doing Jesus' words leads to stability and standing. Stated positively first, wisely doing Jesus' words leads to stability and standing. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them or follows through or puts his teaching into practice or acts on his words, who hears these words of mine if you, and, and does them. Now, if you think about it, Jesus is making a pretty bold claim when he says these words of mine. Right? Either Jesus delusionally thinks his words are pretty important, and he's selfishly demanding our devotion, our misplaced devotion, or he knows his words are vitally important to our lives and well-being, and so he's graciously giving us an opportunity to follow his way. Which do you take him for? Are his words lunacy to you? Or are they the words of life? If the Lord's words are truly meant to give us life, and I believe they are, then we must never treat them lightly or frivolously or pick and choose what we like. His words are not like the words you'll hear anywhere else in the world, not like the words heard or seen on CBC or Spotify or YouTube or on Vice or the New York Times. His words are on a, a totally different level. And so we must hear them, hear them deeply, hear them daily. Hear them devotedly. You must not only hear them, but do them. Which then leads to great blessing. Listen to the Apostle James echo Jesus. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So this is another form of self-deception. We've seen a lot of that lately. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So, May we hear his words, now not only thinking of other people and how it applies to them, we're pretty good at that, but meditating on how it applies to us and how we can carry out what it says. And then, most importantly, as the band Casting Crown sings, may we not lose our follow-through between the altar and the door. Of course, that's easier said than done. And just shows, again, how much we need the Holy Spirit to remind us of all truth, to help us maintain resolve, and to grow good fruit in our lives. We need the Lord for this. So, what words of Jesus do we need to be doing? Well, It has to start, I believe, with accepting him as Savior and Lord and believing his good news or the gospel. Like Mark 1.15, Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. 
Repent and believe in the gospel. This means recognizing that we are sinners who have lived opposed to God and his ways. We consistently fail to do all that God wants us to do. And yet, though we deserve his judgment, God yet made a way for us to be saved instead. He sent his son, Jesus, to earth to live the life that we couldn't live, die the death we deserved, and then rise again to give us life. Now, in response to that, we repent, or we turn away from our sin, and we turn to Jesus in faith. We confess that he is Lord. We pledge our allegiance to him as king. And when we do this, we become his disciples, committing ourselves to to learn his ways, to follow him. And if you've never done this, I'd invite you, encourage you to do this today. We'd love to help you to, to repent and believe in the gospel. That's where it's all got to start. Then once we repent of our sins and we trust in Jesus, we believe there is an initial step of obedience that sometimes we may not emphasize as much as we should. That's baptism. Jesus commanded us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And baptism declares publicly that we belong to Jesus, that we want to follow his ways. And if you're interested in doing what Jesus says and getting baptized, we can help you with that too. We're planning on doing some baptisms next Sunday, in fact, on Easter. Special time, so come talk to us. And then we are taught to obey everything that Jesus taught. It says, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, the Christian life is growing in doing what Jesus said for us to do. That's the Christian life. This includes everything he said in the Sermon on the Mount and on numerous other occasions. At its most simple, it's loving the Lord and loving our neighbors. And it's also much more detailed than that as we learn what each of those means. However, here's the key. We don't obey him now in order to to gain his favor or to be saved or to get into heaven. We obey him because we already have his favor, we've been saved, and we're already heaven-bound. So it's a joy, it's a delight to follow him. And in Matthew 7, Jesus gives us this picture, this attractive picture of what happens when someone devotes their life to doing what Jesus says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Do you want to be wise? Wisdom is far more than just being smart or knowing things. It's knowing the best ways to apply knowledge to your life. And then 
doing so. Like in building a house, a wise person chooses to build their house on a solid foundation, whether on bedrock in Jesus' day or on a, in concrete today. If you wisely want your home to be sound, stable, and safe, check the foundation. If it's anchored to a solid foundation, it can survive the most dangerous conditions, like from storms. Rain and floods won't sweep it away. Battering winds won't blow it down. It says, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. It's this vivid picture, right? Rain pounding, floods streaming, winds howling, both wind and water slamming against the house, testing its integrity. Now, Jesus was addressing people for whom this would have been a very real danger, is while rain was somewhat rare in their area, when they did get storms, they got storms. They were violent. When rains came to desert areas, water didn't drain well, so flash floods were common. And therefore, if you didn't plan well for the long term, you didn't plan ahead for disasters, you could lose your house very easily overnight or even lose your life. So Jesus wants us to understand here that, that the more we plan our lives long-term around his teaching, the wiser we are. The more our lives revolve around him, the more stable we will be. And we have to ask, though, what are these storms that Jesus is talking about? What's the parallel in, in real life? And we might assume that they're just general everyday troubles we face. We might call those storms. But the way Jesus describes this, this doesn't seem to describe just a little storm, does it? It's a pretty calamitous one. So some believe Jesus was preparing his followers for a specific historical time of suffering. Others do think Jesus is referring to the trials of life, but to especially severe trials. And then some think that Jesus is talking about the end of the world and judgment day. Now, why does this matter? Well, which storms does obeying Jesus protect us from? It's a really key question here. Which storms does obeying Jesus protect us from? Ultimately, if we are saved by Jesus and living for him, doing his Father's will, then yes, founding our lives on Jesus' words will allow us to stand in the end. Future tribulations, death, judgment day will obviously be pretty fierce storms, and those built on Christ, the solid rock, will stand firm, even then. But I believe Jesus' teaching can rightly be applied to more than just the final days, and that following Jesus' words and ways provides stability even now. No, 
it doesn't guarantee that we'll be unassailable or immovable now. But living Jesus' way does stabilize us in the midst of life's storms. That's why I said that wisely doing Jesus' words leads to stability and standing. I think you can say stability in the short to long term and standing long term. As Brandon Smith says, Jesus is always addressing people where they are, but is always pointing them forward. God is calling you to something now because of something that is coming later. You're going to have trials now and tribulations now, but ultimately it's all pointing to something that is coming later. God is making all things new. So the question becomes, are you ready to face the storms, whether that's now or later? Really both and, now and later. Because no matter what, the storms will come. You can count on that. The wise man built his house upon the rock, but that didn't keep the storms away. Rain, floods, wind, wail upon mountains and beaches alike. Even on the rock, we will still face loss, disappointment, anxiety, aging, pain, and grief. We still have enemies in the world, the flesh and the devil, who will seek to take us down. There are plenty of trials that will greatly test our foundations. Some will pound on us like rain. Others will seep in like floodwaters. And others will come suddenly and violently, like a fierce wind or a tornado. So Jared Wilson says this, Confessing Christ is not a force field against trouble. In fact, biblically speaking, it seems to entail the promise of more trouble. No one by becoming a Christian becomes exempt from the suffering common to every human being in this fallen world. We still get sick, we still get hurt, we still die. And on top of that, The Christian embraces the cross of Christ, opening himself up to scorn, mockery, and persecutions of of various kinds. But having built on the rock of the word, we know that even if the storm kills us, we will live. Cheer up then, Christian. Should heaven and earth pass away around you, it's not the end of the world. The storms of life that come our way couldn't we use some stability? This is, this is why we buy insurance of all kinds. This is why we faithfully back up our devices. This is why we seek out friends or family who will stick with us through thick and thin. We're all seeking kinds of stability, some kind of stability for when the going gets rough. Now, it's not totally clear What kind of stability Jesus is offering? Emotional, physical, mental, spiritual, maybe some, maybe all of them that might vary depending on the trial. But I do believe that we will weather a storm far better with him than without him. 
Some of you might be fully committed to Jesus, yet you still feel quite fragile when storms hit. Battered, flailing, beaten down. So you wonder if this could really be true for you. I don't believe Jesus is promising us utter and complete stability for every storm here. Ultimate stability, absolutely. And for now, he'll help us get through and he'll help us endure. But I've spoken to a number of people who have gone through intense suffering in recent years. And you know what's something that I often hear them say? I've lost count of how many people have told me this. They'll say, I'm really hurting, grieving, suffering, but I can't imagine going through this without Jesus. Yes, it's still really hard, but without him, it'd be unimaginably worse. The winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Living Jesus' way can be a strong, stabilizing force in the storms that will hit us, that we'll face. What does this practically look like, though? Let me give you a handful of examples. But I'm guessing that if you think through any of Christ's teachings, you can figure out how following them can provide you either with stability now or cause you to stand later. For one, for one example, Jesus tells us to lay up treasures on earth, or to not lay up treasures on earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. Now, if our treasures are not earthly, would we be as rocked if or when we lose earthly things? Another one. Jesus instructs us to not be anxious about our daily needs, but to seek first his kingdom, to bring all our requests to him in prayer, and trusting that our Father cares more about us than he cares for sparrows or lilies, who he obviously cares about, can definitely bring us a daily peace that surpasses understanding. Or, Jesus says to rejoice when we are persecuted, to love our enemies and pray for those who hate us. Do you suppose those practices would help us weather persecution? Of course. And all these things, Jesus is saying, if you live according to my words, you will be prepared when disaster hits. How so? Well, this is what Jared Wilson says. He says, in the short term, we will know where to turn when suffering comes. We will grieve, but not like the hopeless. We know how life really is. That's wisdom. We will hurt, but we will not despair. We know how life really is. We will cry out, but we will not shake our fist. We know how life really is because we know who life really is. 
The storm comes, and the wise are not utterly destroyed because they know that the one who controls the storm has secured their souls for all eternity. And even if he requires their lives for the moment, he will return their lives to them in glorious abundance. There is nothing God will take from the Christian that he will not give back in some way infinity-fold. That is the long-term wisdom. So, are you building the house of your life on hearing Jesus and doing what he says? And kids, I'm not just talking to your parents or grandparents on this. You're starting to build your life even now. So what are you building it on? What are the things you care most about? Will they last through a storm? Do you listen to to what Jesus says in in church and Sunday school and family devotions and and you want to obey him. Young people, the foundations you lay now will impact you for the rest of your life. Just ask anyone who's 10, 20, 30 years older than you. And older folk, no matter what damage the years have already inflicted on you, It's not too late to shore up your foundations or to begin to rebuild anew. What do you want the rest of your life to be built upon? In 2018, when Hurricane Michael hit Florida, there was a stretch of homes along a beach and there was One home in particular that made the news for being unscathed by the hurricane. The builders had successfully built a house upon the sand by basically not building on the sand. They raised the house above the ground up on pillars so storm surges could pass underneath, drilling the pilings over 12 meters underground, and then pouring concrete cornerstones for a foundation. Now, that kind of construction, of course, wasn't available in Jesus' day. However, it still provided a vivid picture of what Jesus is talking about here. As on the one hand, you had these builders going above and beyond to plan ahead and to make sure that their house, despite its location, had a firm foundation. And then... On the other hand, it was surrounded by total devastation. Almost every other house along the beach was massively damaged, if not destroyed altogether. Flattened by the wind, torn apart by the sea. When I saw the pictures, all I could think of were these words. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So wisely doing Jesus' words leads to stability and standing. And conversely, foolishly not doing Jesus' words leads to fragility 
and falling. Foolishly not doing Jesus' words leads to great fragility and falling. For instance, when we hear his command to let our light shine before men, but we hide our light, it can cause us to cower more or crumble when real darkness comes for us. When we hear him just say, say to cut off the hand or pluck out the eye that causes us to sin, in other words, to deal ruthlessly with sources of sin, but we refuse to do so, that preserves a, a weak spot in our lives where Satan is sure to attack more fiercely. When he says to not judge others, we keep right on harshly condemning them. That can erode godly community out from under us that would otherwise help stabilize us. And those are just a few examples of how not acting upon Jesus' words leads to fragility. If we know the storms are coming, but we don't prepare for them, that's the epitome of foolishness. And eternally, such foolishness leads to our houses falling entirely. On the day of judgment, this will ultimately and utterly be true. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. A sobering fact in this parable is that both houses could well have appeared identical. As each man built their house, a casual observer might have noticed no difference between them. Because, as John Stott explains, the difference was in the foundations, and foundations are not seen. Only when a storm broke and battered both houses with great ferocity was the fundamental and fatal difference revealed. Like, look at this parable. It said, both men were people who clearly heard Jesus' words. Jesus is not contrasting a faithful Christian with a total heathen here. Both the wise and the foolish builder could have appeared to be good, moral, Christian people. They could be Bible-reading, sermon-listening, tithe-giving, church-going men and women. But the deep foundations of their lives are hidden. So we can't tell the difference until a storm reveals the truth. Whether a trial now or a storm on the day of judgment. That house fell and great was the fall of it. It didn't just fall says his fall was great. A mighty crash. <laughs> Onlookers might not be able to tell the difference between the two houses or builders, but the builders would doubtless know what foundation they were building on. So what about you? Where are you building your life? Do you hear and just a scent 
to what you hear? Or do you hear and, and do? If you hear Jesus, even frequently, daily, weekly, every few months, but do nothing about it, pay attention. Because Jesus is talking to you. He's pleading with you to hear the warning. If you believe you know what's best, that you can take or leave Jesus' advice, I beg you to listen. If you want to build your life on the ideas, the theories, the philosophies of the day, of this world, and not on Jesus, I'm warning you that that foundation is nothing more than sand that will wash away. And if you maybe just haven't taken this very seriously or haven't thought really these things through, start today. Like you need to plan ahead. Your life needs to be built to last. A foolish builder doesn't stop to think or ask, what could happen down the road? So today, be aware of your fragility, your mortality, and also your eternality. And build the house of your life on something that will last. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You might think, what a downer of an ending to a sermon. <laughs> if I ever ended a sermon this way, I think you'd all be a bit shell-shocked. But what a powerful and appropriate point Jesus leaves us with. We all have a choice to make. And he already told us about the two gates, the two ways, and now we're given the two foundations. We will all build on the rock or on the sand, and the stakes couldn't be higher. One house will stand secure, and the other will collapse with a crash. Also, when you build a house, the foundation is the first thing you have to lay or have to establish. And thus, Jesus ends with where we must begin. What will we do with his words? What's the foundation we're going to lay? However, while that's vital, that's not actually the final question that I think we should be left asking. Because after hearing Jesus speak here, we should more wonder, who is this man? Who's this man? That's how the crowd of Jesus' disciples responded. Look at the last couple of verses here in chapter 7. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So as we've seen, wisely doing Jesus' words leads to stability and standing. Foolishly not doing Jesus' words leads to fragility and falling. And so, so listen to him and do what he says. He has authority. Listen to Jesus. Do what he says because he has true authority. The more we marvel at who Jesus is, 
the more I believe we will follow his words anyway. And also, the more we hear his words, the more we'll marvel at who he really is. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. They weren't just entertained or impressed. They were astonished or amazed. Wow! Who is this guy? Jesus was, of course, much more than just a great teacher. But he wasn't less than that. His teaching was downright stunning. And at the end of the day, we may wonder, like, why should we really seek to do Jesus' words? And the answer isn't only the respective stability or fragility of life. It's also who it is that's telling us to do so. Because this isn't just anyone speaking. And thus, after hearing this powerful sermon, Matthew directs us to consider the one who preached it. The crowds were astonished. Why? For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The people's scribes were some of their religious teachers of the day. Some of them would have been decent folk, no doubt. Some of them would have spoken truth from Scripture, likely with some authority. But they didn't possess authority of their own. They just derived authority from whatever scroll or teacher they were teaching from. Our equivalents today could be people like pastors or authors or tweeters or podcasters. Whoever we're listening to, good or bad, could be like modern-day scribes for us. But the point is, there is a mountain of difference between Jesus and them. Jesus has authority. So we need to hold their words loosely and not build our lives on them, except to the extent that they are passing on Jesus' own words to us. Unlike people's experience with their scribes, Jesus taught them with a different kind of authority. As one commentator explained, the scribes spoke by authority, while Jesus spoke with authority. His authority came from who he was. Like if we were to, to slowly and carefully go through just the Sermon on the Mount, Again, in Matthew 5 to 7, we can pick out places here where Jesus presents himself as the king of a kingdom, as the rightful legislator and highest interpreter of God's law, and as the greatest prophet ever. He even claimed to be the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets. We could also point out places where he indirectly or directly claims to be the Messiah or the Christ, the Lord, the Savior, the Judge, the Son of God, and even God himself. Immediately before our passage today, he said, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And then... I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now think of what that means. He claims he himself will preside over judgment day. Hear the evidence. Present the sentences. He is the one who will decide 
and declare everyone's eternal destiny, the basis of his verdicts will be people's response to himself, and the worst judgment will be being cast away from his own presence. In summary, Jesus laid down the law of God and taught with the authority of God himself. He has the staggering audacity to expect us to build our lives on his words, and he says that those who do so are the only eternally wise ones. We may be astonished by who he is, in a good way, and want to worship him and live for him. Or we may be astonished and think, who does he think he is? It's ridiculous. But one way or the other, Jesus confronts us with an inescapable decision. Who do we say that he is? Either he was a massive megalomaniac or he was the magnificent Messiah. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, the one thing he cannot be is simply a good teacher. And when we hear the Sermon on the Mount with our hearts, I don't think we can honestly conclude that it was coming from someone who was lying or out of his mind. And therefore, the only alternative is to take Jesus at his word with deadly seriousness. So, among the deafening cacophony of voices that are clamoring for our attention today, listen to Jesus and dare to build your life on his words. Ultimately, when we do as he says, the foundation we build on isn't just his words, but himself. We're placing our lives into his story and building them on the work that he's already done. And today, if you hear him and decide that he really does exude authority, don't walk away unchanged. If he is, if he is who he says he is, we must listen to him and do what he says, following his way, even if his way leads to a cross. It will also lead to an empty grave and to a house that will stand through every storm you face, both now and forever. Let's pray. to build our lives on your words. And you know how we still fall short. So we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. We pray that your spirit would empower us now to make any changes that you know we need to make in our lives. And for those who you may be calling for the first time, I pray that they would abandon their hope in themselves and place all their hope on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.